The scripture underneath the song that we just sung is out of Philippians 1.27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's quite the challenge we have. is striving to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Understanding how short we come so many times. And learning to take control of our lives. Several factors we must consider and reflect upon. One is the things we can do and the things that we cannot do. And to learn the, di- the difference between the two. And that the part of the prayer, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Where the problem lies is trying to find that wisdom to know the difference. Luke is, or was, a Gentile. And yet he has a good portion of the scriptures, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it's interesting, again, that Luke is concerned about all of mankind, not saying that Matthew, Mark, and John were not, but you see it more in Luke than you do in the others. Matthew begins his gospel with the giving of the genealogy of Jesus. He starts with Abraham, and he comes up through Christ. When you get to Luke in chapter 3, Luke starts with Christ, and he goes backwards, and he takes it all the way back to Adam, who he describes as being the Son of God. All the way back to know again that the gospel is for all. And as you read through the gospel of Luke, it's interesting that the various things that you encounter along the way, he spends a great deal of time, if you will, in these middle portions of the the book in talking about the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests, their attitudes and the things that they thought along the way and trying to collect or to correct them and their attitude and in their thinking and trying to learn, if you will, how do you really take control of your life? What do you learn to hang on to? What do you learn to let go of? As you look at that 15th chapter of Luke, He begins to remind the people that the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them of the man with a hundred sheep. And as he closed out that parable, he began another one there in verse 11 and following down on through the remainder of the chapter. And it's reminding us 
of some of the roadblocks that we have in our lives and how do you deal with them? And how do you learn to learn to do that golden deed and learn to walk in a manner that indeed would be pleasing to God? He talks about a certain man having two sons. The choices here, the conclusion that will be drawn basically is that the father is the God the father. And he has the two children. One would be wayward, that would be the Gentiles, and one who would, the one who stayed home would be the older son. But you see characteristics there. And part of our learning to take control of our lives is learning there are some things that you do not control. We can try the best of our ability with God's help. But those of you that are parents clearly understand that no two children are identical. They can grow up in the same house. They can live under the same rules. They they can respond similarly in certain circumstances, but there are no two that are identical. And if you have not found out, you will find out that you do not have a whole lot of choice in how that unfolds. You work with it. But there are some things that we have not control over. We live in a world where children spend a good portion of their times around people who are not Christians. And you can set the guidelines and you can do the teaching and that's all important and necessary. But you have a father who has two sons. One tends to be on the rebellious side, a little selfish, and the other one tends to be self-centered. And and they're not being addressed on those particular issues. They're being addressed as to who they are. And the relationship that they have that one doesn't see and the other one had forgotten about. And part of our living our lives is trying to find how you draw those balances and how you work with them. There's a younger son who we call the prodigal son. The word prodigal basically meaning wasteful, wayward or wasteful. Wasting capabilities, wasting talents, and wasting life. And there's the older son. And as you read down through, you catch a little bit of his background or his characteristic of his serving the father, but more so out of obligation. Than out of love. He's relating that back to the the Jews. How many times do you read through the scriptures 
We have Moses. We have the prophets. I want eternal life. What commandments do I need to keep? Keep. And said, I've kept all of these from my youth up. The obligation. I'm here because I'm obligated in one sense or another. I did my duty. I've worked the field. I've done my job. And yet you've never treated me like you're treating this wayward son of yours. Both were wrong. And both need to look at life, and we're trying to draw lessons from that in the life that we live. Which one do we fall into? Which one is describing us along the way? The prodigal son tended to look at things from the physical eye which we all have a tendency to do from time to time. We, we look because that's how we perceive things. He perceived that he was entitled to an inheritance. And at this time, he wanted his fair share of it. Do we at times take an attitude that because we are children of God, we are entitled to certain blessings? Not that they're gifts from God. Not that His grace and His mercy has bestowed them upon us. But we feel that we're entitled to them by being a child of God. And how do we perceive the life around us? What eyes do we look with? We look at the physical and we see the surroundings and so forth, and do we draw conclusions based on that as opposed to looking with that spiritual eye? I want my fair share. Is that how we live sometimes? Spiritually? We sing a song every once in a while. I've sacrificed quite a lot for you, Lord. And then he gently took me and said, and the rest of the song goes on, consider what I've done for you. But look what I've given. I've entitled to this. And we need to, at times, to reflect along the way. He wanted his fair share. He took it. And it says he wasted his possessions with the prodigal living. We can go through this life. And really, in essence, be wasting our life. And that's not the bad part. Not that you're wasting your life, which has its problems. Is that with everything that we do, there's a price that must be paid. And we're never given that guarantee. Some, excuse me, some of your vehicles like to tell you how many miles you can go on the tank of gas that you have in there. 
And as you drive your car, that number keeps going down. There are some that I know that also like to live on the limits of how close to that red line can they get without running out of gas. And they're not always successful. But do we live that? See, we're not given that gas gauge, if you will, in our life. We're not told how long we have to live. And so we do not know how close to empty are we. And to to think again that I could let the cares of this world, the pleasures of this world, the things that I enjoy doing in the physical realm, take such a priority in life that I forget who I am. That I'm a child of the living God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And as a result of being this child of God, I've been given an obligation. I've been given the choice of how I want to live. To be his disciple and to do his will. To do his will from that cheerful heart. When you sit there and reflect upon what God has done, and you reflect upon what Jesus has done, when you reflect upon the care that he's shown upon us, how could we live a life? of meeting the simple obligations along the way. Now, the older brother seems to know something about the younger brother. We're not told how. But the older brother was willing to tell the father, how can you take this son back into your house who's lived his life with harlots, lived an immoral and ungodly life? Well, how did the older son know that? The younger son went into a far country. Did the older son know something or believe he knew something about that younger son? And again, do we have the foresight? It's always interesting at times to read about the stock market. The forecasters will make their predictions and something will come out of blue and all of a sudden the bottom falls out. Wasn't expecting that. So what happened to the younger son? He lived his life, he wasted what he had, never considered anything beyond his life. And then a great famine hit the land and he found himself in need. The only job he could find was feeding the swine. Understand from the point of view of the scriptures at this particular time, the prodigal son being a Jew, as the indication may be, that swine were unclean to them. That he had reached the bottom of the barrel and he was scraping the bottom of the barrel to feed the swine. But loved as this had something to eat that they were eating, but was not able to at the time. And he had nothing. You look at a world around you, and what do you see? Do you not see a lot of that? Living the life the way you want to. And again, that younger son had a knowledge of the father. 
He had a knowledge of where he had come from. And he had a knowledge that in essence what he was doing was not right. But it hadn't stopped him yet. And we're going to take control of our lives. They're at. They've been restored. But somebody will not let me stop to look at those cars. Because what happens when you look at those cars? The bug bites a lot deeper. And you think, well, I need that car. I'd like to have that car. Do we realize that there's something more to life than that? We're told that the younger son finally came to himself, came to his senses. But even in this, as you notice, I want you to, can, can, to see as well, I'm still making decisions, and I'm still making decisions based upon what I see and what I perceive of which neither one is correct. What does he remember? Well, he remembers home, but what does he remember about home? Well, I remember my father has hired servants. And they have food aplenty. And I'm in need. So what is he willing to do? He rehearses what he's going to say. He said, I'm no longer, listen, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your servants. What had he forgotten? Had he forgotten the Father's love? Do we shortchange ourselves sometime? Have we at times maybe done this? I'm no longer worthy to be called a, a child of God. I hear it in joking terms at time. And I think we need to reflect on it. I just want just to get inside the gate of heaven. And I'd be satisfied with just a tent inside the gate. And we forget how God describes it. In, first, in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11, 12 and 13 down through there as well. The scriptures say, if I do his will, if I'm growing in the Christian graces, the entrance into heaven is abundantly supplied unto us. Because, see, we go into heaven on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not us. And that entrance is abundantly supplied. So the son, younger son, heads home. We're not told how long this 
has taken place. But what's the one thing you notice about the Father? What is he doing? He's looking down that dusty road. Well, he's looking down the road. I won't call it a dusty road. He's looking down the road. And he sees his son coming. Does he wait for him? How much does the Father love us? And how much when have we, when we've strayed, does he with those loving eyes long to see us turn around and look? The Father ran to meet him. And the Son, according to his preparation, began his speech. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and never lets him finish. No, you are my son. And you will be treated as a son. Learning to know where to look. It's learning how to surrender. And it's a learning how to trust the leading of the Father. His response, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. I've used that illustration, that section of Scripture from time to time for those who believe that once a son, always a son, never could be lost. And I asked them to read this. Tell me what it says. My son who was what? Dead. Is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. He never lost being a son, but he had lost what was his. He was dead. If he had died in that far country, he would have died lost. If he died in that far country, he would have died not being found. But the father restored him. Of course, the oldest son was not happy. The Jews of Jesus' day had a rough time accepting the Gentiles into the fellowship. Wanted them to become like they were rather than accepting the fact of coming like God. The Father wants them to come. And it's seen... from a heavenly position, if you will, of looking down and seeing who we are. Every one of us is a creature who has been created in the image of God. 
everyone on the face of this earth has a soul that will never perish, that eternally will be in one of two places, every soul. And there's a father up there who has so loved every single soul upon the face of this earth, past, present, and future, that he provided, not that we can earn, but that he has provided salvation through the blood of his only son. And when we can catch that, and see that we are given a short time here in which to make decisions. That we really, in essence, take control by letting go and letting God work in our lives. The older son was told, as he bemoaned the younger son being home, it's right for us to be married. This is right. It's right for us to rejoice when the lost is found. It's right for us to understand who we are. That we are in that relationship with God that He is Father. He says, do you not know what you have? Everything that I have is yours. Do we, have we forgotten that? The blessings that he gives, that he bestows upon us. Yea, it rains on the just and on the unjust. But God's favor is upon his people. His love, his protection is upon his people. And how long does he long to see us? Just to turn around and look. be able to say Lord I'm coming home gone too long I'm coming home I've let too many things of this world interfere I've let my attention I've let my eyesight be shifted from what I have in heaven to what I think I'm missing here on earth. Even when I know I'm going to leave it all behind. Let me refocus. Let me be that son that utterly rejoices in being in the presence of the Father. What we have here is only temporary. We are just passing through. Is your relationship of such a nature that the Father in heaven and say, come. Come into the house. Come into the mansion. Come into eternity. Prepared for you, listen, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's already made preparation. 
So it's not just an invitation song. It's at any time in our life to really understand God is calling the prodigal to come without delay. Wherever we may be, we're never outside of the sight of God. So as we look at our lives, is it where it ought to be? Is there a need to make a change within our life? If there is, that opportunity is granted to you this evening to be able to do that. To repent, ask for prayers, encouragement, whatever that need may be. We could assist you. We could help you in any way. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.